Welcome to Helping Challenging Children. This podcast is for adults who want to understand why children behave the way they do and how to support them to increase their ability to self-regulate and to become more independent. My name is Dr. Pat McGuire. I'm a developmental and behavioral pediatrician who and I have been working with these children for over 30 years, and I can tell you that with the right support, they all do great. So enjoy these podcasts, and hopefully you learn a little bit each time. Greetings. Today I'm going to talk about the needs of our children with autism. I don't know if you've noticed, but the numbers of children being diagnosed with autism continues to climb. The latest report from the CDC notes that one child in every 44 at age eight years is in the autism spectrum. This appears to be a significant increase from when I was in medical school in the late 1970s. In 1966, in fact, it was estimated that one child in every 2,500 had autism. By 1987, the numbers had increased to one in 1,400. The greatest changes, however, in prevalence occurred beginning in 1991. At that time, the U.S. Department of Education included autism as a disability under the special education umbrella. Before that, they were served under the intellectual disability, or as they called it then, the the mentally retarded label. It was also the year that Uta Frith published her paper on Asperger's syndrome. This was followed up with the publication of the DSM-4 in 1994, which added PDD-NOS and Asperger's syndrome under the autism label. Now more mental health professionals and educators were looking at children differently and noticing the characteristics in more of their patients and students. They were realizing that autism was not just students who were severely intellectually impaired. A significant factor in increasing our society's awareness of autism became available in 1995 when Internet Explorer was launched. Now everybody could go online and search for answers regarding their child, student, or patient from around the world. It was no longer necessary to have access to a library which had the right journals with the studies that discussed these children. An example of how this affected the prevalence rate was looking at Sweden in 1991. At that point, they estimated that in Sweden, one child in every 105 was on the autism spectrum. Their follow-up report in 1997 noted that the prevalence then was down to one in 45. A third report in 1999 showed a continued increased prevalence at one in 17. Studies reported in the U.S. for the years 2000 and 2002 had similar results at 1 in 15. I know, you can ask how we went from 1 in 15 to 1 in 44. This is simple. The earlier numbers I am sharing with you come from clinic-based examples. They often had patients with a wide range, including adolescents and early adulthood. These early studies were not representative of the communities overall. The current reports come from the CDC using community-based surveillance. 
The reports are done every two years through the ADDM, which is the Autism and Developmental Disabilities Monitoring Network. The CDC estimates that about one in 44 eight-year-old children have been identified as being in the autism spectrum. That is about 23 per thousand eight-year-olds. These estimates from the ADDM network are based on data collected from health and special education records of children living in 11 communities across the United States during 2018. Information was collected on children who were eight years old because previous work has shown that by this age, most children with ASD have been identified for services. There are currently 11 sites in the US. They do reviews of medical and school records plus have done phone interviews to determine if the child has ever been mentioned to be on the spectrum or had been evaluated. They're noting that the age of diagnosis is becoming younger due to the AAP, which is American Academy of Pediatrics, initiating autism surveillance between 18 and 24 months. Prior to this, most children who are not profoundly impaired may not have been picked up until four years of age or older. The most recent report from 2021 shows that the age of diagnosis has decreased by three months with this new surveillance. While this is better, this small improvement could be due to problems with universal screening or a lack of sensitivity or specificity when using the MCHAT. The latter possibility is supported by a study in the journal Pediatrics from October 2019 where in a university-based community pediatric practice, they had 91% of the patients screened, although there were a number who were not done at the expected times. They found that the sensitivity was 38.8%, and the positive predictive value, which is the rate that a positive screen would lead to a positive diagnosis, was 14.6%. They did note that these positive screens led to a diagnosis seven months sooner than for the children who screened negative but ended up having autism. Putting this all together, we can see that we are improving in the rate of identification, but there is still a great deal of room for lowering the age of identification if we are to provide these children with services as soon as possible. So now that I have totally dumbfounded you with numbers, let's move on to how well these identified children are being served. Well, according to the Early Childhood Education uh, Journal from November of 2017, services received were by most standards, minimal and far below best practice recommendations. Despite this, Parents reported high satisfaction, especially for their toddlers and pre preschool children. Basically, these parents were just happy to have help for their children. This study was part of a larger study investigating child, family, and community variables associated with early identification and treatment of autism in the Northwestern United States. The primary author uh, worked out of the University of Oregon. How about Issues with limits on evaluation, diagnosis, and intervention. There is a wide gap between states 
in terms of how soon after a parent or physician refers a child for an autism evaluation and when they can get in. After that, there are frequently time gaps before they can begin services for OT, PT, speech, and the zero to three early intervention system or the three to five-year-old education services through school districts. This time lag can range from several months to more than a year. This is time that these children can't afford to waste. There is also the issue of what it costs the parents out of their own budgets. According to Autism Speaks, an average, on average, autism costs an estimated $60,000 a year through childhood with the bulk of the costs in special services and lost wages related to increased demands on one or both parents. Costs increase with the occurrence of intellectual disability. Mothers of children with autism who tend to serve as a child's case manager and advocate are less likely to work outside the home. On average, they work fewer hours per week and earn 56% less than mothers of children with no health limitations and 35% less than mothers of children with other disabilities or disorders. Let's look now at the types of early interventions and the types of K-12 interventions. The lifetime costs associated with the autism spectrum disorders are high, basically $3.2 million per individual. Now we can reduce these costs by choosing and providing treatments that have evidence of effectiveness. And that would be programs such as behavioral packaging, modeling, peer training, schedules, and several others. So what are the skills that need to be reinforced and taught, starting with early intervention and continuing through the K-12 system as the demands on these skills increase? They consist of communication skills, interpersonal or social skills, learning readiness, personal responsibility, including daily living skills, play skills, self-regulation skills, problem behaviors, and sensory and emotional regulation. When looking more specifically to the K-12 years, there also needs to be skills development in the areas of academics and re restricted repetitive non-functional patterns of behavior, behavior, interest, or activity. But how are the schools approaching the behavioral differences of children with autism spectrum disorder? Well, according to the AmericanProgress.org, most children with disabilities such as autism are not getting the support they need. American Progress notes that, quote, disabilities or emotional and social challenges while comprising just 12% of early childhood program populations represent 75% of the suspensions and expulsions. The odds of being suspended or expelled are more than 14 and a half times higher for children with disabilities and emotional challenges than their typically de developing peers, end quote. So think about those kids that you've heard of in your children's child care center who were asked to leave. 
there's a good chance that they had debil- disabilities or, and or emotional challenges. When looking at the percentage distributions of students subjected to restraint or seclusion by disability, we find that while enrollment of students with disability is only 12% of a school population, they make up 71% of the students restrained and 66% of the students put into seclusion. With this comes up with the idea of the need for better social and emotional training. In a 2019 Frontiers in Medicine article, there was a focus on the gap between social emotional teaching and the zero tolerance approaches many schools and educators uh, are involved in. They reviewed the need to go back to a developmental level of understanding of social emotional learning rather than a one size fits all for the children from kindergarten through high school. Not understanding what is typical for different developmental ages leads to more disciplinary action. There is also little to any debriefing with the student regarding how they saw the situation, how they decided on their course of action, and their immediate understanding of the consequences of their choices. There is also rarely any practice of doing the situation with an alternative choice taken. Both of these will help students with ASD to begin to understand the process to outcome events. But it means we have to stop saying to children, I don't want to hear what you have to say. I don't want any excuses. You just have to deal with the consequences. These kids don't learn from that way. Schools also must do more about these students being set up or provoked. According to Autism Speaks, nearly two thirds of children with autism between the ages of six and 15 have been bullied. So what should be the focus for children with autism above what they provide for non-affected students in their schools? As required through IDEA, When a student becomes 14, there needs to be the development plan for post-school life. This includes the need for vocational training through voc rehab services. This needs to go beyond the traditional supported and sheltered workshops. There needs to be many more opportunities to explore career options related to their interests. This could include self-employment as noted in the Wisconsin Department of Vocational Rehabilitation Customized Self-Employment Toolkit. Many students in the autism spectrum could succeed with supports and training. There are also more companies looking at integrated employment for individuals on the spectrum, such as Microsoft, but the numbers are still not good. According to an April 2021 Forbes article, since the start of the pandemic, Studies estimate a staggering 50 to 75% of the 5.6 million autistic adults in the US are unemployed or underemployed. Nearly 50% of 25 year olds with autism have never held a paying job, despite having the skill sets and expertise to excel in the workplace. I am lastly going to share with you the Autism Speaks advocacy teams. 2022 goals, some of which I have already touched upon. The goals are increased global understanding and acceptance of people with autism, be a catalyst for life-enhancing research breakthroughs, increase early childhood screening and timely intervention, 
improve the transitions to adulthood, and ensure access to a reliable information and services throughout the lifespan. Autism Speaks is again calling for a significant increase in funding for research and services to support the 2.3% of U.S. children within the autism spectrum. My call to you is to contact your representatives and senators in Washington, D.C. to provide this increase in funding. These children will become around seven and a half million adults who should be in our workplace. We're already seeing the issues of not enough workers as our population ages. Not supporting these children will cre create further destruction of our commerce. And more importantly, we will lose out on the joy and community they can bring to our society.